it's good to have everybody here today. Uh, it's really good to have Brittany and Chad with us. Brittany, been praying for you, and we're going to continue to do that. I'm glad that you're here. Take your Bibles and open them to John chapter 3. I have been preaching the last five Sundays from John's third gospel, and uh, we've been talking about this conversation that Nicodemus had with Jesus one night. Uh, I've entitled the series One-on-One, -on -One, Spending Some One-on-One -on -One Time with Jesus, and uh, we've made it down to verses 15, 14 and 15. Now, I grew up out in West Texas, and uh, man, it's beautiful out there. Uh, Tim's been spending some time out in West Texas. Isn't it pretty, Tim? You're still trying to find the prettiness. Well, i tell you what, it's there. You just got to look for it. So uh, I grew up out there in, in, in outside of Midland uh, in West Texas and cotton fields all around me. And, and uh, we had creatures out there, uh, slithering creatures, a lot of snakes, all right? And they weren't just little, little pansy snakes. These were rattlesnakes. And as a boy growing up out there, I had several encounters with rattlesnakes. And, and to this day, all right, to this day, I'm now 53 years old. To this day, I hate snakes. <laughs> All right. I, I really do. I've always had kind of this, this phobia, this fear of being bitten by a venomous snake. And uh, so I just, Tim, the only good snake to me is a dead snake. All right. So anyway, that, that's what the sermon is about today. So if snakes give you the old heebie-jeebies, just hang on. All right. Uh, because that's what it's about. Verses 14 and 15. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would add Your blessing to the reading of Your Word. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak this Word of truth into our hearts and that You would change us by Your grace, mercy, and power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When Reverend Reford Wilson, former director of our Free Will Baptist Foreign Missions Department, entered the hospital for the last time, the doctors told him that his chances of survival were slim. But they said surgery might help. Even so, the, the surgery itself contained risk and his chances were marginal at best. So with a steady eye and a twinkling smile, Wilson said, Either way, Doc, I win. You see, Reford Wilson was a man ready to die because he was a man who learned how to live. The real question for us today is this. Are you ready to die? Well, Nicodemus wasn't. And for years he had trudged through life with loneliness and frustration and a nagging sense of emptiness. So one night, he came to Jesus for some answers. Now, Jesus knows everything, doesn't he? And, and I, I'm, I'm intrigued when I read the Gospels and, and read about how Jesus meets us wherever we are on life's journey. For example, when Jesus talked to a fisherman, he described salvation in terms of fishing for men. When he talked to the Samaritan woman, he explained salvation to her in terms of water that she was drawing from the well. When he talked to the blind man in John chapter 9, he explained salvation in terms of sight and vision. 
John chapter 3 is all about Jesus talking to Nicodemus about salvation. So what analogy is he going to use with Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus was a theologian. That is, he was an expert in the Old Testament law. Having devoted his life to the study of every word, of every paragraph, of every page in the Bible. He had devoted his entire life to studying. He knew it from cover to cover. So when Jesus talked salvation to him, he did so in terms that Nicodemus could identify with. In fact, he used the Bible story to explain salvation. And that story, he told him, was found in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers, of course, is the fourth book of the Bible. It's the story of Moses leading the children of Israel through the desert of Sinai to the promised land. And all along the way, these church people grumbled. And they complained. And they continually distrusted God. But God was patient with them. Because God loved them and He provided for them all along the way. He, he guided their every footstep. But here in Numbers chapter 21, they're up to it again. They're complaining and grumbling and barking out. Let me read to you what it says. Numbers 21 verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. They said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. They, they did have a negative, bitter, complaining attitude, didn't they? I mean, they, I guess, they griped about everything. They were gripers. They were complainers. If their team didn't win, they were griping about it. There had to be some kind of problem. But you know what? It was detestable in the sight of God. Okay? In fact, complaining in this regard was a sin against God. Now let me do a quick time out. Andrew Carnegie was one of the wealthiest men in America. He came to this country from Scotland when he was just a little boy, and he ended up as the, the owner of the largest steel manufacturer in the United States. At one time, he had 43 millionaires working for him. And that was a time in, in which a millionaire was a rare breed. Someone asked him one day how he developed his personnel, how he developed people to be successful, and this was his reply. Men are developed the same way gold is mined. When gold is mined, several tons of dirt must be moved out just to get one ounce of gold. But one doesn't go into the mine looking for dirt. He goes into the mine looking for gold. Now in each of our lives, there's a whole lot of dirt. Okay? There, there's a lot of dirt. When, when you look at the circumstances of your life, when you look at your job, when you look at your husband or your wife, when you look at your children, hey, when you look at your church and your friends, guess what? There's a lot of dirt. Because believe it or not, none of us are perfect. There's dirt in our life. 
Our loved ones aren't perfect. There are disappointments and hardships and imperfections. And we often concentrate on those imperfections until we become miserable and disgruntled and frustrated and critical. Let me tell you something, guys. It doesn't matter where you're at, whether it be at home or at church or at work or at school. If you go looking for dirt, you're going to find dirt. The National Parent-Teacher Organization commissioned a study which discovered that in the average American school, 18 negatives are identified for every one positive that is pointed out to a child. 18 negatives to one positive. The study found that when kids enter the first grade, 80% of them feel pretty good about themselves. But by the time they get to the sixth grade, only 10% of them feel good about themselves. We're critical people. Even as, even as six-year-olds, six we can be critical people. Usually because we learned it at home, but you know, I'm not going to get into that really. That's who we are. We're gripers. We're complainers. We're critical because we focus on liabilities instead of on assets. We fuss, we fume, we fault find, and we grow unhappy with our circumstances. We get unhappy with our job, with our family, with our children, even with our churches, because all we are seeing is the dirt instead of the gold. And let me tell you something, folks. This is more than just being an element of, the, of mankind. This is a sin against God. God detests it. We are saying, Lord, You have given me burdens instead of blessings. And, and it was just a way of life with the children of Israel. But let me tell you, the children of Israel complained one too many times. And so here's what the Lord did. He had, he, listen, he had, had it up to here <laughs> with all their grumbling and complaining. So here's what God did. God sent venomous snakes among them. And they bit the people. And if you got bit by one of these snakes, there, there was no antidote, there was no serum. If you got bit, you died. A horrible death. And people were dying left, right, and center. Now, we aren't sure what kind of snakes these were, but many experts believe they were carpet vipers. Long, slender snakes with a small head and a large pair of curved fangs. These fangs were needle-sharp and hollow at the tip. They can strike like, like lightning, and they are irritable and easily provoked. There are some analogies there, but I'm not going to go there, right? We also know that these carpet vipers multiply quickly. For instance, in northwest India, about 200,000 of these snakes are killed every year. The scales of the carpet viper are rough, and they, they produce this distinct rasping noise as they scrape against the sand. It's a nerve-wracking, heart-stopping sound. And perhaps you can begin to imagine the terror of the Israelites as they heard this rasping sound and then the screams 
of their neighbors and family members as they were bitten and then died day and night. I'm telling you, I'm getting the heebie-jeebies right now. I I hate snakes. That's what was happening. They were overran with snakes. Snakes were biting. People were dying. It, it, It was a depiction, of course, of Satan and sin. Are you seeing this picture? Snakes, Satan, sin. In fact, the very first glimpse we have of the devil is in Genesis chapter 3, and he is possessing the body of a serpent. The last glimpse we have of the devil in the book of Revelation, he is called that old serpent. He slithers around, tempting and coiling and striking and biting. He induces us to sin, and that sin leads to death. But you know what? On a larger scale, this is really a depiction of all of humanity and all of history. Disobedience and the devil have infested our hearts and our homes like an outbreak of vipers. And the entire human race is dying. Sin brought death into the world. We are all dying. We've been infected by the poison of sin and the venom of the evil one. You've got it inside of you, and I have it inside of me. And we can do nothing on our own to take that venom out. The Bible declares in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. The big question is, is there an antidote? Is there a serum? Is there any hope? Numbers 21.7, the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. (laughs) Yeah, they sinned. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you, preacher. Pray that the Lord, I just added the preacher in there, but That's kind of what he was to them. We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord would take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed. What I want you to notice here is the desperation and the genuine repentance. We have sinned. They recognized the evil in their life. We have sinned. So what happened? Numbers 21 verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. A couple of things about this verse that's really interesting to me. First is are the two words, look and live. Say that with me, okay? Look and live. Hang on to that because we're going to come back to it. That is really important. Look and live. The other thing that is interesting to me is, is, is what God did here. I mean, don't you find this a little strange and unusual? 
I mean, here are all these snakes, hundreds, maybe thousands of these snakes slithering around, biting people. The people are dying. God says, make one of those out of bronze. Make a, a, a brazen snake, just like the one crawling around, and then put it on a big stick, a pole, and put that pole right in the middle of the camp. That's a strange plan. You know, I mean, thinking about it rationally like we would, I, I would think that God would say, okay, okay, Moses, there are a few indigenous roots out here in the desert. Go and take some of those roots and grind them up and then take some of the venom of the snakes that are biting the people and use that as a, as a serum to save the people. Wouldn't that make sense? Or, or how about this? Find a river and go dip thyself seven times in the river. After you've been bitten. That's kind of biblical, isn't it? But this? Make a bronze snake, put it on a stick, lift it up in the middle of the camp, and if you've been bitten, death is impending, right? You got, you got bit, you died, right? We understand that? It's fatal. You, if you got bit, you were gonna die. You knew that. But now all you have to do if you get bit is what? Look and live. Well, I tell you what, I, I know we're stubborn people, but even stubborn grumblers, if they're bitten by a venomous snake and they know they're going to die, if there is a salvation point out there, guess what they're doing? They're looking to it. Of course, this brings us back to Jesus' words to Nicodemus. And it really is my second point. Jesus Jesus is the one who is lifted up. Because what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What Jesus is saying here when we really think about it kind of makes us shudder. That hideous, repulsive, coiling snake was a prophetic depiction of Jesus Himself. It was a picture of Jesus becoming sin for us. It was a picture of Jesus being crucified and hung on a Roman pole. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, that's one way of saying this. If you're bitten, you're going to die. Sin has infected your life. And the only antidote for that sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't. There's nothing you can do to be righteous enough to earn your salvation. Okay? And, and you may think I'm getting mean right now. I'm not getting mean. I'm just telling you the truth. Okay? You need to hear the truth. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. Our only salvation is in Jesus. Through His blood. Through His crucifixion. Through His resurrection. I like the way Paul said it in Romans 8.3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man was lifted up in crucifixion. That's what He did for you. He died for you. And what is our response? What is our responsibility? It's pretty simple. Look and live. That's all we have to do is look and live. That word look means to turn your attention to Christ, to focus your life on Him, to gaze into His eyes, to absorb His love for you, to believe Him, to receive Him into your heart, to make Him the Lord of your life. So this morning, my plea to you is this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, there's a Civil War battlefield and cemetery. Somewhere in that cemetery is the grave of a young soldier who died clinging to the promises of John chapter 3. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, was stationed at the hospital there as a chaplain. He had been up for two solid days and two solid nights and finally had laid down for some well-deserved sleep. About midnight, he was called to see a wounded soldier, but he, he tried to put off the messenger. He said, can it wait until the morning? The messenger said, no, if, if you don't come right now, it'll be too late. So Moody went to the hospital ward and he found the dying soldier. He, he gazed into this young man's face in the dim candlelight and he said, Son, what can I do for you? The soldier cried out, Please, please, sir, please help me die. Because he knew he was dying. Help me die. D.L. Moody, he tried to share the gospel with him, but the young boy only shook his head and said, God can't save me. I've been a sinner all my life. I've sinned too much. He can't save me. Moody repeated promise after promise, but nothing helped. Finally, Moody pulled out his New Testament and read John chapter 3. And as he read the story, the boy's eyes became alert, fixed on Moody. He seemed to be hanging on every syllable. Moody came to the words of our text today, and the boy stopped him and asked, Is that really there? Preacher said, yes. The boy said, I never knew that. Read it again. Moody read it again. The boy said, that's good. Read it again. <laughs> After Moody read it the third time, the boy's eyes were closed and a peaceful expression covered his face. Quietly, he was quoting these words. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes on His name should not perish but have eternal life. Early the next morning, Moody returned to the boy's bed. And of course, it was empty. He was told that the young man had died peacefully during the night, quoting to himself over and over again, Whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, that dying soldier discovered what Reford Wilson knew and what Nicodemus learned. You aren't ready to live until you're ready to die. And you're not ready to die until you know Jesus. 
I'd like to uh, just, I would love to be able to express to you how much Jesus loves you. I can't. John in the next verse tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I, I know Jesus loved you so much that He came down from heaven to become sin for you. And that your sin and my sins were placed on His body as He hung on that Roman pole. And that His blood was crucified and shed to take away your sin. That's how much He loves you. He has provided abundant life for all who look to Him and hope on Him for salvation. So the real question today comes down to, to you. What about you? Have you believed? You have sin in your life. You can't take it away. If, if something is not done, you're going to die two deaths, physical death and spiritual death. You're going to spend all eternity in hell. What are you going to do? Well, the only answer is to look to Jesus. Seek Him for forgiveness, cleansing. Have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And then you can live. I'm going to close today with the course to an old hymn that was written in 1887 by William Ogden. We, we don't think anything good could last for that many years, but let me tell you, this is pretty good. The course to that great hymn says, Look and live! My brother, live! Look to Jesus now and live! Tis recorded in His Word. Hallelujah! It is only that you look and live. Heavenly Father, I pray that today many in this room would look to you so that they might live. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would do so. Lord, for the many who are here who are just away from you, they, they have allowed other things or other people to come between you and them. I pray today, Lord, that they would come and and receive forgiveness and get close to You once again. I pray that they would claim, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, there are many in this room who have loved ones who are not right with You and they're burdened for them. I pray that they would use this prayer time to come and intercede and intervene for their lost loved ones. And then, dear Lord, for the rest of us, we just have needs and burdens on our heart. We're weighed down by the world today, and we just need to come and, and spend some time with You. Make it easy for people to come today, Lord. May they come and pray and commune with You and have the strength to go back out into the world and live the kind of life that You've called us to live. Lord, I prayed all week for this very moment, right here, right now, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would work in this room and in our lives and that as we have lifted up Jesus Christ, that You, dear Lord, would draw people to Yourself. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask that You stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Praise team is going to sing. Would You come and pray? This, this whole front of the stage and the altars are open. I invite You to come right now.
talk to the Lord. Would you step out and come to Him? All I need to do is say, there's many out there. All I need.